Enterprise Management 360, your main source for tech news, analysis, podcasts, and videos for the enterprise. Hello, and welcome to this EM360 podcast. I'm Scott Taylor, the Data Whisperer, and I'm delighted to be your host for this podcast series. I am principal consultant at MetaMeta Consulting, and we help organizations tell their data story by reinforcing the strategic value of proper data management. In this podcast, I'll be joined by Carrie Young, EnterWorks VP and General Manager for Windshuttle, and Jonathan Varro, Product Information Management Team Lead at Fender Musical Instruments. We're going to be discussing the many advantages of master data management, as well as understanding what might be holding companies back in their digital transformation. Hello, gentlemen. How are you both doing today? Hi, Scott. How are you? Great. Great to have you both. So, Jonathan, why don't we kick it off with you here? So, let's define digital transformation from your perspective, and especially what does that mean for a brand like Fender? I would say that the definition of the digital transformation, the meaning has changed over the years, most recently with COVID, I would think. But going back many years, uh, to be able to take the product information, especially for uh, enthusiasts of our brand, to be able to take that and be able to uh, serve it in a consistent and complete way. Believe it or not, it's amazing. Uh, this is a, more of a new new concept uh, to be able to find information about a guitar that you purchased maybe 15, 20 years ago. Sometimes the uh, information could be spotty, and that's throughout most of the industry. It's not even just our, our company. To be able to take all of that information, get it into a centralized system with uh, governance rules and something that's robust and scalable um, has just been invaluable to us. Because I always like to say that you know our, our NPI process, which we go through two times a year, uh, allows us to move our data forward. You know, uh, we're putting in new information that's going to be something that we're going to release the following January or the following July. Um, so in that case, the data is always moving forward. But because we have so much of a rich history and photos and documents that contains marketing and specifications of products that we've released in the past, maybe even 20 or 30 years ago, we're coming up on 75 years uh, this year when the company was started. We have actual you know pamphlets and catalogs you know put away somewhere that we're working on getting all of that put into our system that so we can share that information with our dealers and our consumers. Efforts like that is are important. It's the only way to be able to guarantee that our brand's legacy you know lives on into the future. You have to make that digital transformation. That's the overarching digital transformation, but there are multiple journeys here. In light of COVID, had we not made significant strides in the digital realm with you know, app creation and Fender Play, which is our online uh, learning program, had we not had those in place, uh, we would have missed out on an incredible opportunity, especially when people were sheltering in place. Um, you know, a lot of people had time to learn new things and learning a musical instrument was huge because of that um had we not made that journey we you know we're having a record year this year um and i i realized that i mean there, this year hasn't been the best you know for for most you know a lot of people are are um, not in good place right now but we were lucky uh with some forward thinking 
and a lot of passionate uh, colleagues, we were actually able to have a record year. And uh, had we not made that digital journey, we wouldn't have had the year that we did. So because you had all that data ready, you were ready for this kind of situation. Not that anybody planned it, but it was that effort to go back and realize, all right, we've got to transform a lot of our assets that we've got in the vault and that sort of thing. That's our long term. You know, I would think that over the course of, I mean, we have people that are hungry for more information about their guitar or maybe just being enthusiasts about the, the Stratocaster, the Telecaster. I mean, we have our specialty brands too. We have Gretsch. They're over 100 years old. So we have plenty of data to pull from that data lake as well, you know, to be able to take all of that information and get that digitized. So in the long term, there's always going to be people that are enthusiasts of the brand that want that information, especially from us, because it's guaranteed. You know, we've done our homework and we are the company. We will get it right. You know, uh, we should be the custodians of our of our history. But coming back to what I was saying earlier about the short term, the short term that leads to more of our you know, in, in our growth in our industry are, are things like, you know, Fender Tune, you know, a little tuner app that allows you to be able to tune your instrument on your on your phone. Talk about convenience and it's got our name plastered all over it. You know, I mean, it's important things like that. But I think the biggest thing that we did, and this is me coming as a former music music educator, you know, music is universal. And if there's anything that's going to put a smile on your face, it's going to be learning how to play a song that you really, really like. Because of that, using Fender, you know, like a, a offering three months free to users with no strings attached. That's what we offered at the beginning of uh, the COVID lockdown. We offered it again recently as well. Because we did that, we brought so many more users into the fold. And a lot of them re-upped with their subscriptions. So, you know, one, you have people learning music, which to me is extremely important, but it allowed us to be able to weather any of the initial financial hits that we as a company could have taken because we offered this. And then when they re-upped their subscription, we then brought in that revenue. That's huge. And had we not taken that those steps that would have been revenue that we would never would have made and you have as you mentioned this great history this iconic brand i'm sure all kinds of wonderful historical assets that go well beyond what people would consider you know just basic product information for sure but any fun things you pulled out of that that process any great little anecdote or, or, or relic that you've stumbled upon that is now available to all kinds of fans because you were able to go through this transformation? You know, it's interesting. Uh, I found uh, a custom shop uh, instrument. It's, it's always in custom shop where we find our, our nuggets of really great, great things. They had done a, uh, a collaboration with Ford and created uh, two Shelby-branded I think a Stratocaster and a Telecaster with a custom Shelby Ford Mustang. Um, and to see pictures of, of the event, it was over at the, I believe, uh, Barrett Jackson down in Scottsdale. And uh, to see Shelby himself holding the guitar and the, the car is right behind it. It's a beautiful instrument too. And they match. That was, that was probably one of the more recent finds. That's why it's fresh in my mind. But we find little things like that all the time. 
and uh, it was before my time at Fender, so I wasn't aware of it. So as a as a musician and a fan fan of the brand to begin with, uh, to see something like that is just great. The instruments are beautiful, you know. Regardless, they they each have a story to tell. You know, every every instrument is different, and should it, uh, that particular instrument get into the hands of the right person, then some beautiful music can be made. Not to be cliche, but it, you know, sometimes the instruments can be like uh, wands from the Harry Potter universe. You know, the 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 wand makes the wizard. You know, the guitar makes the musician. Absolutely, we all have our own own favorites for sure, and I'm sure there's some fans out there who would love to see that Shelby version. Uh, you know, when you think about just kind of the journey you went on, what does that journey start to look like? And is there an end point or is it just this continual path that you bring the company along with? Well, like I said, the forward thinking of our executives is what started us down this path. You know, I mentioned Fender Play. That's part of our Fender Digital group. And the digital group was mandated by our current CEO, uh, Andy Mooney, when he first joined the company. You know, a significant effort was put into the digital group to be able to explore what we can accomplish in the digital realm. And as I said, we we came out with a number of apps and we have apps that uh, link to our amplifiers. You know, like I said earlier, you can tune your instrument with an app on your phone. And the beauty is, is that, you know, these apps came out and then they expanded upon them, you know, based off of, uh, you know, customer input, you know, adding more and more uh, features, you know, as as the uh, mobile devices became more powerful, and then bringing Fender Play online, you know, uh, to be able to learn the instrument. If you you, know, you can't make it to a lesson, you can do it at the comfort of your own home. You know, some people aren't comfortable learning in front of a teacher. I'm a former uh, music instructor. I I would have very introverted uh, students that, and you know, I mean, until they warmed up and they got to know you, you know, they really were kind of held back. They don't, they don't feel comfortable because it's such a personal thing. When you're learning an instrument, it doesn't sound good. And you don't want to not sound good, especially when somebody is listening in, even though they're your teacher, that's their job. So the beauty is, is that, you know, to be able to have, have an alternative, uh, to be able to do it in the comfort and the privacy if you will, uh, of your own home, you know, uh, opens up a, a lot of people prefer that. So getting back to your, your question about the digital journey, the digital journey is, is continuous. We're always going to find ways of being able to leverage our data, provide more to our customers, make it convenient. I mean, we, we have uh, 75 years worth of stuff, product data, assets, documents that we have to scan we're talking you know old catalogs that need to be scanned and cleaned up and and uh things like that i mean there is an effort of amongst uh enthusiasts within the company from all different departments that just love the company and that's what we do you know if we if we have it uh to where it's officially mandated then we can really make good progress but we're making good progress anyway um because the people that i work with including myself you know, we love the place where we work. We want to see Fender evolve and continue to evolve as the future goes on. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to take, we're, we're custodians of our history, as I mentioned before. Um, we have a, a gentleman who works in marketing, uh, Rich Siegel, um, who's just, he's got so much. There, I mean, like it would take 100 people to go through all the stuff that he's collected over the years and to be able to get all that 
fully digitized and everything would be a major effort and everything. It's just amazing. There's there's so much there and everything. It could be overwhelming, but it's exciting. You know, even like I said, I mean, you can just find small things. I've got on my desk already digitized, of course, because they're on hard drives, eight terabytes worth of archival information that wow. I, I dedicate an hour or maybe two to just go through and find little nuggets, like I said, about like the Shelby Strat or uh, a Yuri Shishkov, what's the Fabergé egg Telecaster, you know, I mean, like these are, this was a guitar that's, you know, worth a couple hundred thousand dollars. And I think I'm under undercutting. I mean, it is one of a kind. It has real diamonds in it. Um, it has a matching Fabergé egg that goes along with it. So I'm, I'm probably really under undercutting the value. It could easily be in the late hundreds of thousands, if, if not almost to the million. But to find something like that is just <laughs> like, how come I never heard about this? You know, as, as a dealer and everything, I, I guess that's not something I was really paying attention to at the time, but to find it within the terabytes and terabytes of data that's available to me, I mean, that's just beautiful. Zowie, yeah, I'm sure that they uh, probably didn't keep a lot of those Fabergé egg no. <laughs> versions in stock, so no wonder you didn't run across them. You know, I, I've got I've got to ask you, Jonathan, about your journey here, just for a sec. So, how do you go from music teacher to a PIM team lead? Well, uh, my history, you know, uh, using the database, we used to use a uh, database in retail called MSI, and I believe at the time it was based off of a Visual Fox Pro. So we're going back a ways. But what I would do is I created the records when they came in. So at the time, we didn't have a system that we could pull data from, from uh, the manufacturer. I mean, we had to go off of, you know, a sheet of specifications and be able to put in all of the, we had to put in the pricing, we had to put in colors, you know, just basic specs, just so the, the salesperson could get in the computer and see everything on just one screen. So I took care of that for my for the company that I worked for for about nine years, and it was a small independent out of Nashville, um, and it was a new store. You know, I mean, like uh, I was there on opening day, and I uh, spent nine years there, and I managed it for seven, and that's what I did because I've I've always been really good with the uh, computer systems. It's always been easy for me. Um, when I was in college, I did I worked with a, a platform called C Sound which was developed by uh, Barry Verko of the MIT Media Lab. And my professor was is a huge C-Sound, even to this day. His name is Dr. Richard Boulanger. Um, I would say that my analytical thinking and uh, programming skills came directly from Dr. Dr. Boulanger. And I went to school for music. I went to Berklee College of Music. So I find that music and understanding computers seems to be hand in hand because uh, many of the people that, I mean, my team members are incredible musicians, but they're also really good at using the tool and they come up with creative ideas. So I think creativity is huge, but I can only speak for my own experience, you know, when it comes to that. So as I said, our, you know, I'm in charge of the product information group, you know. So what we do is uh, we make sure that data governance rules are followed uh, for when our product managers create new products for launch. We also take care of making sure that that information is uh, syndicated throughout all of the different channels to our dealers, to our dealer portal, to our B2C, B2B, you, know, you name it. Uh, we also help our marketing groups make sure that their copy is in there, assets are properly routed to the correct uh, products. You know, We have our hands in a lot of different 
different places. You know, the the most interesting part has been compliance has uh, made this a necessity. Uh, we a couple of years ago we uh, had to abide by, as all companies that uh, could possibly sell products in California, you have to abide by Proposition sixty five compliance which is uh, chemicals that could cause cancer or reproductive harm or both. We created a repository in, in our PIM to be able to house all that information and also be able to put a warning on a product, a specific product, if it does con- if it contains those chemicals, if there's a possibility. We have to, by law, put that in there. So, so the PIM, we use Enterworks. Uh, the PIM provides that information for each particular SKU um, and also provides messages to the dealers saying, look, this contains such and such and such and such. We don't have to give them the exact chemicals. We just have to say it, it, it can contain these chemicals. There's a, there's a possibility, you know, even though it's in very, very small trace amounts. We have that information stored in PIM. And that's huge because, I mean, if we don't do that, that's, that's considerable fines. And the same thing goes with uh, wood compliance, which is a project that we've e- expanded upon this year, especially. You know, we have woods that are, uh, some are, some of which are endangered. And what we need to do is we have to make sure that we have an accurate quantity of the specific woods that are used in our instruments. So, I mean, a typical guitar could usually have alder, maple, rosewood, walnut, you know, and that's just three or excuse me four woods off on a on a stratocaster off the top of my head there's probably more um maybe something within the construction that isn't necessarily like you can't see it it might be internal but uh it's amazing uh the parts and the 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 materials that go into it we have to we have to make sure that we're accurate on what woods are in there and the information that we're sending because you know rosewood was uh, the restrictions were much heavier i think they've eased up a little bit when it comes to uh, musical instruments but i believe furniture makers if you have rosewood in your product i mean you have to you have to tell the government you know uh, there has to be a certain quantity and if you don't have that information you're going to get fined so you know if you're talking about the digital journey that's why i keep saying it's ongoing because we find new and better ways of being able to uh, store that information and then serve it when it's needed. Well, if the growth story for MDM doesn't attract senior leadership by all these found, then the compliance one is going to get you. So you've got to be able to to do both for sure. Uh, Let's bring, you've been playing lead this whole time, Jonathan. Let's bring Carrie in for a minute and just give us a sense, Carrie, from your perspective how MDM and master data management enables digital transformation. Sure, Scott. Thank you. First of all, holy cow, does John have the best, most interesting job in the realm of MDM of anybody? It's a fun story. Yeah. Holy buckets. Every day is a new adventure there, Carrie. (laughs) Yeah. So I think uh, most people that I run into have come to the conclusion that master data management is a crucial piece of the digital transformation puzzle. I think it's um, pretty much these days widely accepted that data is a key enabler of digital transformation. And businesses everywhere are contending with disparate, duplicate, and conflicting information. So MDM not only makes digital transformation possible, 
It optimizes the results of these efforts while reducing the risk of tactical and strategic failures. Um, you know, it's it's interesting because it not only does master uh, data management help establish this data consistency in sort of this, I don't know, common language throughout all systems in an organization. It's key to digital transformation, at least from what we're seeing. So, so creating and managing master data in the best way to get single trusted view of business critical data is what's helping drive better customer insights and I, I think probably even better business outcomes uh, from, uh, again, good master data. I'd say master data is the hardest working data in rock and roll, that's for sure. So if you think about that too, you know, how do companies that have digital transformation in place, Gary, compare to those who don't, especially in light of what you've seen with customers, prospects of folks you've been dealing with through this pandemic period? Yeah, well, I think I've read several studies out there where, you know, digital transformation has accelerated anywhere from three to five years due to COVID-19. So obviously, you know, obviously those that had already prepared themselves that were already digitally enabled were, were ready for this, uh, you know, for what happened uh, during, uh, during COVID-19. I think John and Fender are, are a great example of that. They're, they started their journey five or six years ago or maybe longer uh, and they were fortunate enough to be ready for when uh, COVID hit and and people needed to be able to buy their instruments online and take their lessons online. Where others that we've talked to are, you know, now understand how critical it is, how the world's changed and uh, have, you know, really, I guess, gotten religion over having to do something quickly. So, the, the COVID has certainly changed uh, the way, maybe not the way people think about digital, but it certainly has accelerated people's plans around digital transformation. Without question, I think there's a number of enterprises out there who were scrambling with just being able to get basic product information ready for an e-commerce platform, for some sort of customer engagement that was based on digital. And then you've got folks like Fender, as you mentioned, Jonathan, who spent the time beforehand, not necessarily, quote, preparing for the pandemic, but went through the strategic visionary part of understanding, look, we've got to have a foundation of data to do a lot of things that we want to try and do with the business. So, You know something, Scott? Um, what we ended up doing uh, in the middle of the pandemic was uh, – Chris Ingram is uh, my VP who I report to, and uh, Chris is in charge of our dealer portal. And the dealer portal is essentially an online uh, uh, B2B site, which uh, dealers can go on and put in an order for their guitars or accessories, you name it. Uh, it's also a, a running archive as we create products and as the products go through their lifestyle, they stay on the portal. That's so it allows them to be able to be researched or, you know, referenced in you know, any time in the future, which is really nice. But I think the big thing during COVID 
was the fact that you know normally we have our our two uh, trade shows, the NAM show uh, in January and July. We couldn't do that this year. I mean, we had we had our NAM show in January, and it was interesting. A lot of people got sick coming back from uh, uh, NAM that year, so we always called it NAM Thrax, but I think it has a an actual <laughs> name this year. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's just a lot of people traveling from all all over the world, you know, in the one really enclosed area. The Anaheim Convention Center is huge, but um, I've been there, and there's so many people. I mean, it's your your shoulder to shoulder with people. But I you know, I digress. Um, what we ended up doing for uh, summer was um, the uh, the ideas came because we figured that Nam was going to be canceled for summer. Um, so we created, uh, you know, Chris spearheaded the, the whole thing. Um, it was uh, mandated by the upper upper uh, executives to be able to have a virtual trade show. Now, I'm not sure what other companies have done, but I've, I read the trade magazines and no one did an online event. We did. We did an online trade show. Uh, using PIM and uh, using the uh, the dealer portal, which was built by our team uh, here. And we did two of them. We did one for Custom Shop too. So talk about pivot, you know, in a very short amount of time. Uh, we wouldn't have been able to do it without the system. You know, uh, without, without uh, the PIM, it wouldn't have happened. But we were able to yeah, like the 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 ask came. We said yes, we can do it, and we were successful. You had the data to back that idea up. That's what's so important. John, talk a little bit about the supply chain side. Anything there impacted with COVID and how MDM may have helped with your supply chain side of the business? You know, I'll be honest. Um, I'm definitely not an expert on the supply chain side of our company, so I really can't speak to it. But um, like I said earlier, was uh, with uh, supply chain, we brought in uh, five new users to the system, actively adding information. And this is all uh, due with the uh, wood compliance for the Lacey Act. Um, so I enjoy the fact of bringing new people into the fold to be able to show them what the system can do, build them a part of the tool that will make their lives easier. And um, they've been taking to it, you know, with arms wide open. Uh, the amount of data that we had in wood compliance was 1900 records when we started. Now it's over 60,000. So talk about a group of people getting their, their data together and getting it into the system that so then, you know, just to stave off, you know, you know, we have to, we have to meet our compliance requirements. So um, that project alone has opened up uh, our supply chain's eyes as to what's capable and what's possible and what we can probably offer them in the future. And I, I don't know what that may be, but I know that we're going to definitely have projects down the line for them. And that will give me more of an understanding as to, uh, uh, how they work. Unfortunately, I can't speak to how COVID impacted them, unfortunately. But um, that's my supply chain story for uh, 2020. Just kind of wrapping it up here, I'd love to get both of your view on how you would advise companies to get started with MDM. Carrie, why don't we start with you and then we can wrap it up with Jonathan. What's some of your top tips? Yeah, well, I think it starts with setting clear objectives. What problems are you trying to solve? Sometimes we see that people's stated objectives for MDM are just way too generic, you know, create a golden record or 
you know, create a 360 degree view of the customer. You know, what do you, what do you mean by 360 degree view? You know, what, what problems are you trying to solve? What, what value will it bring to the organization? Sort of something out of your playbook. I, I know, uh, you know, how will it uh, move the organization closer to, uh, to a strategic goal? So it just, for, for me, it, it comes back down to an, M, an MDM program without a clear vision and objective. One is unlikely to be funded and two, it probably won't bring, uh, you know, the value that it, that it, uh, it, it should bring. So setting clear objectives for me is like rule number one, advice number one. Jonathan, any thoughts there for getting started? When it comes to getting started, you need to make sure that you have your advocates, the people who know the tool and can go around and be the, the authority, if you will. You want, you want your PIM team to get out and meet the different people within the organization in order to find out how people work, whether the system or provide benefit to their current workflow and improve things, or learn about a person's process and then see if you can come up with a way to be able to improve upon that. So whereas Carrie's got the the beginning part, and I, I wholeheartedly agree, you need a plan. But once that plan is in motion, you need to have your advocates. Because if it's hard to get people to sign on and to subscribe to, especially to a new tool, because to learn something new, you know, I mean, people like their, you know, routine and a, a system like, like our PIM will break that routine, you know, quickly. So as long as you have people that will advocate for the change, document and train and uh, show look, this is what the system can do. It can do this for you in 30 seconds. It used to take you a week to do. They're going to hop on board. You can't, you can't beat that. To have to stress for a week and over 40 hours in a week to be able to meet a deadline to where a system can do it for you in 30 seconds, I'll take the 30 seconds any day. Sure, it sounds a little bit like learning an instrument too, probably some of the struggles people go through in the beginning. Exactly, you know, I mean, an instrument never sounds very good at the beginning, but as you get, used to it and your brain, you know, connects those neurons, neurons together uh, and your hands are working and everything gets into place and it all takes time. Um, it's scary at first, but, you know, in the end, uh, you can make some pretty good music out of it as long as you keep up with it and take care of the instrument and uh, take care of yourself too. You know, you have to make sure that you're uh, putting the correct information in there and you don't want to cause a headache for yourself down the line. Making sure your data's in tune. I'll spare anybody. I'll spare everybody the rest of the puns I came up with. We have an app for that. Remember that. So <laughs> don't fret about your data. Okay, they're cutting me out. They're Give me the high sign here. Anyway, I want to thank both of you gentlemen for joining us today. That was fun. Thank Carrie from Windshuttle and Jonathan from Fender for talking to us today. And if you'd like more information on what we've discussed, please head over to the windshuttle.com website. So for the folks at EM360, until next time, this is Scott Taylor, the Data Whisperer. Thanks again for listening.